Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Podcast Was Good. We are again coming to you after another IU win. Uh, this is getting to be fun to actually do these podcasts after IU football wins. Uh, joining me, as always, is Austin. Austin, how did you celebrate uh, absolutely dismantling Rutger on Saturday? I uh, actually uh, came home from Memorial Stadium, you know, good time there watching the Hoosiers win and whatnot, um, but came home and subjected myself to watching the Florida Gators lose to LSU, so that was great, um, I guess. <laughs> Wasn't ideal, but Indiana won, so that's something. Yeah, we will we'll dive into that here in a minute. It was a homecoming win, uh, which... For those that have followed IU football, those are rare. Um, but it was an all-around great day for IU football. Before we jump into that, as always, if you guys could give us a... Uh, if you aren't already, a subs- or subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, we have gotten amazing feedback. Uh, you guys have been so supportive. We appreciate it so much. Um we enjoy doing these, and it seems like you guys are enjoying listening to them. So if you can leave us a rating and review, that's a huge help for us. Um, we appreciate it all. Um, if you have any suggestions or comments or anything, we want to do a mailbag pod here in the near future, hopefully. Um, maybe we'll do it in celebration of clinching a bowl berth, knock on wood, which could come very soon. Um, but yeah, if you guys can leave us a rating and review, uh, it's a huge help for us. So, um, yeah, we'll, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this Rutger game, uh, because it was just a dismantling. Um, Austin, what is your one big takeaway, one big positive from this, uh, shutout win? My one big positive is uh, it's going to be a guy who I've been getting more and more positive about as the season's gone on. It's Wap Fillier once again. I, I just I love his game. I love what he brings to the Hoosier offense. Uh, he had 10 catches for 182 yards on Saturday. He didn't get in the end zone, but he, he did break off a 56-yard catch, and he's just he's electric with the ball in his hands. He's a difference maker for the Hoosiers on offense. So I was excited to see Kalen DeBoer just continue to feed him and feed him and feed him as the game went on. And, and I, I'm starting to feel really, really positive about just the way that his career is trending. He, he feels like a guy who could play at the next level. He's really positive about WAP failure right now. I think as a whole, um, it, we knew this receiving core would be really good. I'm, I mean, I think I speak for both of us when I say that uh, we're surprised it's WAP that is the one that stood out this year, um, but pleasantly surprised. Um, here, there's a couple stats that came out um, from Pro Football Focus. So through Week 7, uh, most missed tackles forced after the catch. WAP is fourth in the nation at 12. And then most yards after the catch through week seven. WAP is fifth in the nation at 333. Um, 
none of those are surprising if you watched Indiana. Um, but yeah, I he is. I don't want to say a revelation because I mean we we knew he was talented. We just didn't necessarily expect this. So I guess relatively speaking, he's a revelation. But yeah, he's clearly Penix's number one target. Um, clearly the guy he's always looking at, and those two have a great connection um, everywhere on the field. So my one big positive. I'm gonna. I don't know if it's cheating or not. I did not get to watch the game. I listened to the game uh, because I was driving for most of the day. Uh, I li- I love listening to Don Fisher, which everybody does. But it was his uh, his partner in crime, Buck, who was absolutely hilarious on the day, um, just being brutally honest um, about how downright terrible. Uh, Rutger was, especially their offense. Um, called their punter, their, I believe that he, it was their lone good player, which isn't wrong. Um, he, I was trying to find, I was sitting quotes in our Slack. Uh, he called it men against boys on the perimeter for IU. Um, he, He said the Rutgers offense doesn't have any hope and came into the game with no hope. So uh, it was just glorious stuff. Uh, it, it was fun to listen to. And we don't get to hear that about um, IU football much. So it was nice to see, nice to hear. Um, it was fun. It made enjoy a, a game that was mostly not enjoyable. Uh, enjoyable. So, uh, we'll talk about a couple things. I'm going to start off with the defense because we've talked a lot about the offense this year. I know that Rutger, their offense was really bad. We told you last week their offense was really bad. One passing yard still boggles my mind. How does Rutger finish with just one passing yard, Austin? Um, I... Great question, man. I, I mean, you would think that a quarterback completing five passes would get at least five yards, maybe. Um, no, I don't. I don't know how to explain the yard, really. Um, <laughs> I think that I might know something that was a factor. Um, Indiana had fourteen tackles for loss. Um, I would imagine that a couple of those probably came on passing plays somehow. Um, but I, it's so hard. The yard is just kind of like a, a, a weird cosmic happening. You, you just, you just watch it and you appreciate it and you make jokes about it for the rest of your life, but you don't really know. It was just, it's kind of like a shooting star. They had multiple negative passing yards. Or- Passing completions. I don't even know. It, it's weird to even phrase it like that. Um, they finished. Uh, Langan finished five of thirteen. Um, so he completed five passes for a yard, which kind of explains what you need to know. Um, Bo Melton caught a pass for a negative yard. Paul Woods caught a pass for negative two yards, and Aaron Young caught three passes for four yards. So. Truly just a tremendous effort. Um, they only finished with 75 total yards of offense. 
And I think they ripped off one big run. So I think a good chunk of that came on one play. Um, the defense, like you said, the tackles for loss, um, they were just everywhere. And at times we've uh, gotten on the defense, which they deserved it. They deserved it after the Michigan State game. Um, but this, even if it is against Rutgers, if nothing else, this is a a positive performance, even just like mentally, just to give you some confidence going into a game that won't be nearly as easy, even if, even though Maryland has a bunch of injuries that we'll talk about later. But just from like a confidence standpoint, this gives you a little bit of a swagger, a little bit of a, a mental boost. Um, that was about as dominant as I can remember an IU defense being for one game. One yard is just stunning. Um, the offense... Little hit and miss. Uh, started off just absolutely on fire. Um, thanks partially to Raquan Jones's fumble recovery, they were up 21 nothing within uh, seven minutes on Monday, and then proceeded to score 14 points the remaining 53 minutes. Uh, what was what did IU do good through the first two drives, and then what went wrong the last? however many drives they had left in the game. Well, I think that the difference was explosive plays. I mean, you, Raquan Jones made a big play. And they, they got the touchdown. Uh, Penix Jr. hooking up with Watt Billier for 56 yards, I believe, happened on one of those touchdown drives. It, it was just Indiana went out there, and they went for the throat right from the get-go. They were making big plays. They were moving the ball, and they were getting touchdowns. After they, you know, got up a little bit, they kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. Not like, they, they didn't go completely conservative, but uh, Kalen DeBoer decided to uh, do a little bit of uh, establishing the run, which uh, famously is a very important thing that you have to do. <laughs> Must establish the run. Um, but that kind of slowed things down a little bit. And, I mean, Stevie Scott had a good day, 12 carries, 164 yards, he didn't get in the end zone, but I mean, Stevie Scott had 12 carries. Samson James got seven carries. David Ellis got seven carries. So I mean, they kind of started to uh, diversify the offense a little bit. They added in the run. They added in you know different players. If they really wanted to, Indiana probably could have just had Mike Penix throw the ball to Wap Failure or Nick Westbrook every play for however long they wanted to, and they could have ran the score up even more, but uh, they just kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit, which isn't great, but it's not bad. I mean, you won, you won 35-0. to zero. It's hard to complain about that. It's great to be in a position where you can take the foot off the gas and still win 35-0. to zero. Um, Yeah, Stevie Scott, 12 carries for 164 yards. By far his best um, best performance of the year. Um, he hadn't even been over 100 yards before Saturday, so easily his best performance. I do think uh, maybe this is a bit searching for excuses. I don't. I do think DeBoer not necessarily went conservative, but basically he you don't need to show your whole playbook in a game that you're just dominating to the degree IU was. Um, 
So establishing the run, keeping things simple, basically just getting through the game with no injuries and um, just moving on to another game where should be a bit more competitive. Um, I think that was a big take. Another big takeaway is you got through the game relatively injury free. Hunter Littlejohn did go out. It sounds like he'll be back. We'll talk a bit more about that. But um, other than that, it, it was um, it was a successful day. Do you even have any negatives from the day? Um, no, but I do have a whole another quick list of positives that I'd like to share. Hit hit me. We don't get to do this often. Um, we, we talked a lot about the yard, but at the same time, Johnny Langan had a quarterback rating of 1.2. Uh, that's 1.2 out of like 160 or something. Um, Johnny Langan also carried the ball 13 times for three yards. He did that while breaking off a run of 32 yards. Um, and then also, Rutger had zero quarterback hurries. That is, it's a goose egg. It's, it's zero. And, uh, Rutger's punter, that's apostrophe S. Rutgers, apostrophe S, punter, <laughs> amassed 473 yards in the game with a long punt of 68, which is oh so close to being nice. That is staggering. 473 yards of punts. Um, and <laughs> Buck was not kidding when he said that that is their best player. Um which is sad and also funny. Uh, he's on pace. He had 3,300 punting yards last year, which is absurd. An average of like six punts a game, it looks like. And he is going to exceed that by a lot on pace this year, both punts and yards. Um, my one negative is at Rutgers in the Big Ten. That's my only takeaway. Um <laughs> That's all we're talking about for the Indiana Rutger game. Um, after this break, we will look forward to a game that will certainly be at least a little more competitive uh, with Maryland. So we'll be right back after this break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, Maryland is an interesting team. Um, early in the year, it seemed like they were a legitimate, I don't want to say contender, but just a legitimate team, maybe a bowl team. Um, their first two weeks of the year, they win 79 nothing against Howard and 63-20 against Syracuse. That Syracuse win is holding up nicely, oddly, um, but nicely. The, um, after that, or since then, they have been one in three. They lost to Temple. They got shut out 59 nothing to Penn State. They beat Rutger, which you saw the Rutger team that played. 
Um, I think there's high schools in Indianapolis who might give them a run for their money. And then last week, I was really surprised by how poorly things went against Purdue. Um, maybe so surprised because I could have had money on it. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but yeah, they were from the get go behind the eight ball against Purdue. They had it down to 20 to 14 early in the second and then Purdue scored the final 20 points of the game and it was never close. Um, so it seems that Maryland may not be all that good. What, as we, before we dive in too deep on anything, what's just kind of your snapshot thoughts on Maryland and, and where they're at this season? Well, the last, three of the last four weeks have been really, really kind of, um, just, they've been good for me because after the, the big win over Howard and after the big win over Syracuse, I was one of the people that absolutely did not buy the hype. Um, I, I, I didn't think that Maryland was good. Uh, I didn't think that they would continue to be good. Um, after the Syracuse win, I kind of felt bad about having that take. But since then, it has been so much fun to be a Maryland non-believer. Um, just, just reveling in them losing to Temple, getting absolutely destroyed by Penn State. And, and I didn't expect them. I expected them to beat Purdue. And, and when they got blown out that way, it's just, it's been fantastic. Um, my, my takeaway is that Maryland, uh, should also be ejected from the Big Ten, uh, preferably out of an airlock. <laughs> um, just, just goodbye. Get rid of them. They're terrible. Um, just a bad football team all around this year. I'm willing to give Maryland a bit of a pass. I don't hold them quite to the same standard as Rutger because they're at least competitive in most things. Uh, they're, I mean, they've had some really good soccer programs. So basketball has always been a strength. <laughs> um, things like that. But, uh, I mean, Rutger doesn't really have anything, but we're not going to keep bashing on Yeah, we probably are. But uh, Maryland has a couple of key injuries. Um, that was part of the reason why they lost last week. Starting quarterback, um, Josh Jackson, not the now Memphis Grizzly, former Kansas Jayhawk. Um, different one. Uh, hurt his ankle. During the team's loss to Penn State, I believe, uh, or maybe or it was the Rutger game, I believe, um, hurt his ankle, did not play against Purdue, which was a pretty decent reason why they lost. I, I don't know. That was such a poor performance. I don't know how much was even on that injury. Um, in his place, Tyrell Pigram did not play particularly great. Um there seemed to be a pretty big drop-off from uh, one to the other. Um, Pigram finished 20-39 for 218 yards, two interceptions. Um, but he did rush for 170 yards and a touchdown, so it's a little bit of a different dynamic. Um, the other big injury, though, is Anthony McFarland did not practice Wednesday. Um, he'd been dealing with an injury, a high ankle sprain, had an MRI. Um, he is the team's, well, technically second leading rusher by yards. 
he has the most carries, um, one yard less than uh, Javon Leak, who's in who's first on the team. Um, so you're looking at the distinct possibility. Jack, Josh Jackson was at practice on Wednesday, but he, he was only doing some drills and wasn't working out with the ones. Um, so you're looking at the distinct possibility that Maryland's starting quarterback and running back are not going to play, and they're starting, or one of their starting receivers is redshirting, I believe. So how big are these injuries going to be for Maryland, Austin? I think that they're monumental. Uh, maybe if they're completely healthy, Maryland has a chance. Um, I, I mean, you, you look at SP+, Plus, which famously doesn't factor in injuries uh, to its projections, uh, and SP+, Plus has the Hoosiers by 6.3. That's without any of the injuries. I, I think that if you take out Josh Jackson, you take out McFarland, you, you take out their, their starting slot receiver, uh, DJ Turner, who's redshirting, you take out. I believe that they also had a cornerback who got hurt, and he's out for the rest of the season as well. You, you take all of that. Tino and you, Ellis. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You take all of that, and you just keep stacking it up, and it could be the difference between this being a one-possession game and it being a two- or three-possession game. So it's just... You, you never want to see another team get absolutely wrecked by injuries, but it's something that is happening, and it's working. It's, it should almost certainly will work in the Hoosiers' favor this Saturday. It's going to be a big deal for Maryland. Yeah, so, I mean, we kind of saw this with Penix, but if you aren't practicing uh, on Wednesday of game week, Odds are, I mean, I know every situation is different, but it, I mean, odds are pretty high that you're not going to be playing. Um, and yeah, when you you're taking three starters out of the starting lineup, that's a huge loss. So um, IU isn't without its own injury concerns, as we mentioned. Hunter Littlejohn did go down during the game, which this is already an offensive line that um, has a lot of. Well, I mean, Koi Kronk going out hurt an already underperforming line. Now, they've been better in recent weeks. Um, but at his press conference on Monday, Tom Allen said it wasn't a serious injury and that he expects uh, Little John to play, which is tremendous news um, and big for Indiana. Um, I mean, we saw they had a huge running... A uh, huge game on the ground, especially from Stevie Scott. So trying to keep that momentum building um, will be big. So I think injuries are going to play a big role. I don't. I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions, but uh, I, I think it'd be fair to say probably at least one of um, Jackson and um, McFarland are going to be out. If both are out, I mean, you saw how much. The team struggled against Purdue um, without Jackson, and I'm not sure if McFarland played that game. I'm pulling it up now. Uh, he only had four carries. So, I mean, you saw how much the team struggled against Purdue, who Purdue has not been good this year. Um, <clears throat> that type of team, you would think, I know this is still Indiana football, but you think would not give Indiana a whole lot of problems. So, um 
if you had to, well, we do this every week. So your prediction, what is the prediction for uh, for the game this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I am going to say that Indiana covers the spread, which opened at five and a half. I believe some books are up to six and a half now, maybe seven. Um, SP Plus, like I said, at 6.3, I believe that would round down to six. I'm going to say Indiana 35, Maryland 7. Ooh. I'm going to go with a big win Ooh, for Indiana. Interesting. Um, S&P predicts at 30-24. Like we said, the 6.3 doesn't account for injuries. Um, the spread opened at 5.5. Fluctuated a bit. Uh, I can assure you as of tonight, you can still find it at five and a half, which we told you last week um, to, that IU was probably going to cover and that Rutger was really bad. This offense isn't – if they're missing Jackson and McFarland, this offense isn't going to be a whole lot better. Um, and IU actually has a legitimate offense this year. I'm not too worried about how the second half went, or I guess the final three quarters went on Saturday. Um I'm with you. I thought I was, I, I was surprised because I thought I was going to be going on a limb predicting a big win. I think it'll be something like, I don't want to give the exact same prediction. It'll be something like 38, like 13, something in that neighborhood. I don't think this will be particularly close. That would be, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit before we went live. That would be Indiana's fifth win. That's one win away from bowl eligibility. Like, I don't, it's Indiana. I, did, I talked with you about whether we should talk about bowl eligibility. I'm not going to because it's Indiana, and we still very well, very easily could lose this game. But holy cow, just the idea of having five wins in October is mind-boggling. So it's exciting, exciting times to be uh, an Indiana football fan, and that does not happen often. So um, enjoy it. Revel in it. Get out. I don't. Well, this game is. I don't believe is at Memorial Stadium, um, so I wouldn't recommend going to Memorial Stadium this weekend. Nope, it's in College Park. Yeah, don't go to Memorial Stadium this weekend. But um, get out and support this team because this is shaping up to be one of the better teams Indiana has had. Um, they'll be back against Northwestern in a couple weeks. Um, they have Michigan at home as well. There's no reason. The stadium shouldn't be packed for both of those games um, because Indiana will likely either be bowl eligible or be playing for bowl eligibility against Northwestern. So um, get out and support this team because I think this could be the start of not only a special season but something um, special moving forward. So last thing we'll talk about, as we do every week, um, some IU soccer, and it's not just... Well, actually, we'll do it this way. We'll talk a little bit about the game. They only played one game since we talked last. We talked after the Kentucky game. Um, man, we hyped this team up to be this fun, exciting, high-scoring team, and now they have scored one goal in the last two games. But the good news is they haven't allowed a goal in that span. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the 1-0 win over Michigan on Sunday. Well, Michigan is one of the, it's over the last few years, Michigan has been one of the better teams in the Big Ten. So this is kind of one of those that you put a circle around. If Indiana is going to win the Big Ten, they need to beat Michigan probably. So 
They went out and they did that. Um, early Michigan kind of had a few chances. They, they threatened a little bit, but the defense held up. Um, freshman goalkeeper Roman Celentano, uh, made a, a, a pair of big saves. Um, and he kept Indiana afloat. And then in the 67th minute, Spencer Glass, who we talked about last week, he came up with a big goal. You know, he, he found the back of the net. He actually found the top of the net. He, he dribbled his way through and actually hit the top it of the net. It was a thunder. Yeah. Thunder kick. Yeah, yeah. He dribbled his way through the box and somehow got it at an angle where he hit the top of the net instead of the back. So pretty, pretty good goal. Pretty good win for this team. Um, they're, they're trending upward. They're seemingly finally at full health. They, they haven't really been at full health for much of the season. It's either been, you know, um, Alinvi's hurt, Wittenbrink's hurt, Black is hurt. Um, now they're firing on all cylinders and they're getting ready to hit the, the big part, the main part of the Big Ten schedule. So, it's a lot to be excited about. Um, they're still atop the Big Ten, perfect 4-0-0 in the conference. Um, Michigan is actually sitting in third at 2-1-2. and I believe that Penn State is between them. Uh, Indiana's got a lead with a game in hand against the two other two in the top three, which is pretty good position to be sitting in right now if you're the Hoosiers. Yeah, Mich- or Indiana is the top 4-0-0. Penn State's 3-1-1. Michigan's 2-1-2. Michigan State's 2-1-1, and Maryland is 1-1-2. Maryland is who they play this uh, Friday. Um, they're also ranked. I don't want to. I don't want to do too much like hot take. Only watch them once. I watched Maryland's game at a restaurant uh, on Monday against Georgetown. It's a down year for Maryland. Um, they. Like I said, in the past, have had really good soccer teams. Not so much this year, even despite the ranking. I don't want to... It's a little bit of a reputation ranking, I would say. Um, they're 6-4-2 and two on the year. Um, now, unfortunately, this game was going to be on FS1, and everything got bumped around. Blame Mother Nature. Um... The Yankees-Astro game got postponed to Friday, which moved the Ohio State-Northwestern football game to FS1, and Indiana-Maryland soccer got the shaft and got put to Fox Sports 2. So some of you will be able to watch it, but um, Austin, give me a kind of a, a short little preview of what to expect from this game. I I would expect an Indiana victory, plain and simple. Um try to get another clean sheet uh, and, and just take a win 1-0, 2-0. I think that Maryland might be the most intriguing opponent left for the Hoosiers, uh, save maybe a Michigan State. But uh, they fell out. They were ranked really highly as the defending national champion, fell out completely from basically every, every uh, ranking, and now they're back. So... They seem kind of like a team that either has it or doesn't. I mean, they they picked up a 1-0 win over Akron back in September. 
And Akron is another team that was in the College Cup last year, which is the Final Four. They beat Akron 1-0, and Akron isn't really – they haven't fallen off as much this year. Akron beat Michigan State, another Final Four team from last year. Akron beat them 2-0. Um, but at the same time, Maryland also lost to Northwestern. Uh, they also – I mean, they lost to a good Georgetown team on Monday. They've lost to – Virginia, which is another good team. They lost to a good UCLA team. They just, Maryland soccer feels, like I said, really hit or miss. They're up and down. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see which Maryland team shows up to play against Indiana. Um, it, and that's kind of the biggest thing going in for me. Which which side of Maryland are we going to see? Is it going to be a, a highly competitive match? Will Indiana go out there and will Indiana dominate the ball? Will Indiana get the lion's share of the chances and then convert on one or two of them and that'll be the match? Um, it's kind of hard to predict just because of Maryland's mercurial nature. So this would seem to be one of probably the biggest remaining game Indiana will have left. Michigan State game will probably be up there just because of the standings, so Michigan State's fourth right now. Um, this would, I think, give Indiana some comfort um, atop the Big Ten standings. So <clears throat> those of you that have FS2, this is one of the bigger games they're going to have left in the Big Ten. Um, go out, watch it on a Friday night. Starts at 6.30. Um, will be a big one. That though, is not the biggest news surrounding IU soccer. A really interesting thing came about um, on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, on Tuesday. So, Todd Yagley, um, one, uh, or he is one of, I believe it is nine coaches uh, that have won a national championship in soccer. All nine of those coaches actually wrote a letter to essentially the NCAA, um, the Division One Council, to modify the schedule. And basically, uh, the kind of simplified version of it is that it would split the schedule between the fall and the spring, um, have regular season games in the fall, uh, I believe have a couple in the spring. It would reduce the games down from 25 to 23 overall. But you would have a couple, I think, games in the spring, and then your tournament would be in the spring as well. Um, it would. The letter, we're going to have an article on this uh, on the site. Uh, the letter's really interesting. Um, but we actually, more than just that, uh, Jordan Gould from IUSTV and BTN Student U actually helped us out a ton. Got us a uh, talk to to Yegley Forrest, and we're going to drop part of that audio in right now. Well, this has been a long, long project in the works, um, and one that's been talked been talked about for 15, 20 years, honestly. And then I think really in the last three to four years, we've really started to get the momentum and, and, the, and the the also the the backing understanding of the sports <clears throat> science and, and the medical background of what our sport is required to put our athletes through. And when you when you dissect that and you look at what the NCAA is working to work towards of trying to find more balance for the student athlete, it just makes sense. So yeah, the as you kinda heard, 
this is it's an interesting I don't want to say stance it's just an interesting move that all these coaches are are taking um Austin what was your thoughts when you saw this I I think that it's a really progressive move um and it's a common sense thing um it's Outlined in the letter, I would encourage anybody interested to read the letter in its entirety. Um, I, I, it should be in our, uh, I'm expecting it to be in our article that goes up on Thursday. Um, I haven't written it yet, so I can't guarantee it, but it should be in there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it, they do a really good job of just explaining why it just it makes perfect sense to do things this way because if you look at the, the the way that college sports stack up to their respective professional sports the the college regular season is always a lighter load than its professional counterpart except for in men's soccer in men's soccer it's the reverse uh the, the college athletes in the peak of their season are going through much more stress they're playing many more games um, in in fewer days, and, and it, I mean, you look at you know the the professional clubs, they play on Saturdays. They play their league games on Saturdays, maybe a Sunday, maybe a Friday, but as far as their their league goes, they're playing once a week. They might add in a second game or a third game if they're playing in a domestic cup or whatnot, but that's getting a little too into, you know, into the woods for me. Uh, it just, it makes so much sense to do it this way, um, especially because when you get to the biggest matches of the season, you're getting to the, you know, the national quarterfinals, the national semifinals, the national finals. You're doing them in November. Uh, you're doing them in maybe the beginning of December, and if you're doing them in, now perhaps let's just say Bloomington, Indiana, playing an Elite Eight game in Bloomington, Indiana, um, it gets really, really cold. Really cold. It's just, you shouldn't be playing the most important games of your season in the freezing cold. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And, and it's, I mean, you even look at, it, it's not just IU that gets affected. Look at the 2017 College Cup. It was played in Philadelphia. They played their Final Four, College Soccer's Final Four was played in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 2017 in December. I know I was there standing on the sideline at midfield, and I was standing next to a pile of snow that got shoveled off. You shouldn't have to worry about snow when you're playing an outdoor sports national championship game. It just it makes no sense to do it like that. And this proposal takes that Final Four, that NCAA tournament, the national championship game, all of it, and moves it to when the weather is going to be much more suitable and it, it, you won't have to worry about adverse weather in a game that should really be about which team is better and not which team can deal with playing in 25-degree weather. So I, I just, I thought that it, it's very smart, it's very common sense, and it needs to be put into effect quickly. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's not something 
I personally have thought about, and I, I'm sure I speak for a lot of fans, but as Yeagley said, it's something that's been years in the making. Um, it's something they've talked about for years. So, yeah, I encourage everyone to read the letter. Uh, like I said, we'll have a post up on this uh, before this podcast post. So if you're listening to this or you're on the website, um, that post is already up. It, it really it uses a lot of examples, like Austin said, of the professional teams and how the college teams play less. And then when you look at um, college soccer, the teams are actually playing more games than the professionals would, and kind of the heart of their schedule is the term they keep using. So it's a really interesting look. To me, it seems just like a common sense type of thing, but... Uh, don't ever assume common sense with the NCAA would be my, just kind of my take on that. So it's really interesting. Um, I really hope it's something that gets some, a movement that gets some, uh, some steam behind it. Um, the vote is in April of next year. So be interesting to see. It could have a, an immediate impact on, on these games and whatnot. And instead of having a season that starts in, Basically September 1st and ends in December. If you even, if you make it all the way to the national title game, um, you have something that's a lot more spread out. The injuries aren't as impactful. Um, the students, and big, the big thing is the students aren't tasked with nearly as much. Um, right now they're essentially playing two week, two games a week, uh, for, a couple months, uh, which on top of going to school and whatnot, all this travel, um, they're playing at College Park on a Friday, um, things like that. It's just, it's just unnecessary, especially in comparison to how other sports are doing it. So take a look at that, um, spread the word. Hopefully this can build up some steam and, and get past. So that will do it for us this week. Um, Hopefully we will be coming to you next week talking about a lot about bowl eligibility. Uh, we'll look up some stats if it gets that far, but I didn't want to do that because this is still IU football and I still don't entirely trust them. So we'll see how it goes on Saturday. Um, I'm pretty optimistic, which means it's about time for them to give us a reason to be pessimistic. Um, but like I said at the beginning, if you guys aren't already, uh, subscribe. Give us a rating and review. We appreciate all the support you guys have given us. And we'll be back next week.